South Korea's birth rate continues to nosedive, prompting warnings from academia and institutions from all across the globe. Some experts go as far as to say that Korea may go extinct in a few hundred years, given the current pace of population decline. But there is one renowned scholar that caught our attention. She says, Korea still has hope and has a power to overcome the childbirth and population crisis. Considering what we've been talking about in our headlines, that's a refreshing take. Today, we have the honor to speak with this very scholar, Karen Bogenschneider, Professor Emeritus of Human Ecology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, who joins us on the line. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. Annyeonghaseyo. <laughs> I believe you learned that while you were here in Korea not yes. too long ago. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> we'll get to your trip in just a moment. But uh, just to first provide our listeners with the backdrop, South Korea's birth rate hit another fresh low in the third quarter of this year with a total fertility rate plunging to 07 at this pace, the youth population is projected to be slashed in half in 30 years to around 5 million. So, Dr. Bergenschneider, how do you assess Korea's current level of birth rate and population decline? That is, in comparison to other developed nations, from what I understand, almost all rich countries have seen their birth rates settle below replacement level. Yes, yeah, South Korea has the lowest birth rate among the 38 most advanced nations in the world uh, that belong to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And these are democracies with market economies. So South Korea's fertility rate is low, very low. And its dynamics are also distinct from other nations in regard to the speed with which fertility dropped, Mm. you know, the magnitude of the drop, and how long it's lasted. You know, fertility in South Korea dropped extremely quickly. Mm from six children per woman per woman in 1960 to 1.3 children per woman in 2012. So this drop is the largest among advanced nations, except for Mexico. Hmm. And, you know, the fertility rate has remained at or below 1.3 for two decades. That is the longest duration among advanced nations. Which is why some experts are sending frightening warnings. A columnist who wrote for the New York Times, uh, Ross Dudat, actually likened Korea's 0.7 fertility rate to the Black Death delivered to Europe in the 14th century, while demographer and uh, professor at Oxford University, David Coleman, predicted Korea will be extinct in the year 27. 50. What that 0.7 means, they seem to think at this pace will go extinct by a certain year. What is your take on these rather blaring red flags? Well, my take is that these professors don't know South Korea very well. (laughs) Um, South Korea has risen from the ashes of war to the 13th largest economy in the world in 2023. Mm. Impressive. You know, Korean men and women are among the most highly educated in the world. It's amazing. Uh, Korea has rapidly developed a system of early childhood education and care and after-school care that has participation rates that are on par with the Nordic countries, who are world leaders in family policies. It's remarkable. And South Korea has been recognized. Um, as one of the top three nations in the world 
for its comprehensive response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, that's, that's extraordinary. So I am optimistic that Korea can increase its birth rate because, you know, it's the view of the future that's most well-grounded in the reality of, of what's happened in the past. You know, Korea has overcome several enormously daunting economic and social challenges. And I think this past performance is the best predictor of future performance. <laughs> so I'm optimistic that South Korea can increase its birth rates. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes the actions necessary to, to become a world leader for other advanced nations in increasing fertility. Uh, Dr. Bergenstrader, that's kind of refreshing because until now it's been uh, pretty gloomy. I mean, looking at just national mm -hmm. statistics, numbers, uh, don't tell the whole story perhaps, but it was warning sign enough. Uh, that 0.7 fertility rate, uh, that's projected to be perhaps even lower if you take in the fourth quarter numbers, uh, but mm -hmm. you're telling us there's hope. <laughs> I think there's hope. Okay, you're just in Seoul for the Korea Population Forum, and you're sitting beside some of the greatest minds in trying to figure out this issue. Walk us through the highlights of the outcome, and also, can you tell us the key points of your presentation delivered during this forum? Well, time will tell what the outcomes of the conference will be. I made several points in my presentation, but I think there's one that might interest your listeners. In Korea, um, people no longer think of having a child as an obligation. However, 90% of Koreans, age 15 to 44, do prefer to have a child, mm. 90%. So why don't they? Well, I looked at surveys of what the Korean people say are the barriers to having a first child in South Korea and also the barriers to having a second child, which is also dropped. About a third say the most important barrier when considering having children are housing costs. Mm. And about a third say care and education expenses. And when Korean women are asked, 20% report that the main barrier is the culture of long work hours, which makes it hard mm. to balance work and family. And another barrier is that women experience difficulties in returning to work and maintaining career opportunities after a family break. And when married women in Seoul were asked, about one in five reported they had experienced a cost to their career after a break in employment. And about three-quarters of these breaks occurred for family reasons. So these concerns are occurring at the same time mm -hmm. that the Korean labor market is changing. You know, it used to be that traditional employment and a university education were sufficient conditions for mm -hmm. Korean men to marry, but no more. Mm -hmm. Now income has become paramount. You know, young people increasingly are facing low wages, insecure jobs, and limited access to social protection, which makes them hesitant to marry and start a family, and in particular, low-resource men are being left out of this marriage market. Mm. 
and that may uh, attest to the sort of growing um, angst and the gender wars that continues, especially online, it seems to be heated. Who's getting the shorter end of the stick and the changing circumstances? Now, you've touched upon some of these, I I would say, fundamentally important issues, but they seem to be without a quick solution. If there was, I'm sure the government could have intervened earlier. But at the current level, the South Korean government's efforts seem to be criticized for just, quote unquote, throwing money at the issue. Uh, The South Korean government is obviously very painfully aware of the seriousness of the country's dwindling birth rate. It has pumped a staggering 380 trillion won. That's roughly $292 billion since 2006 to tackle the plunging birth rate. It has tried to provide more financial support, expand on existing daycare centers, encourage fathers to take paternity leave, but to no avail. So in your view, why aren't these related Korean government policies working? Well, um, there are many reasons. Uh, Two that I think I'll mention today. You know, Korea has several government policies in place, as you were mentioning, but they may need to be expanded. For example, you know, Korea has paid parental leave, uh, but it's taken only by 25% Mm. of eligible mothers and 5% of eligible fathers. So to increase the uptake, um, Korea could draw from the experience of other nations. Uh, Korea's leave is slightly longer than in other advanced nations, Mm. but the payment rates are lower. Mm. And when you take payment ceilings into account, the average payment across the duration of the leave is only about 31% of previous earnings. So Korean family leave policies provide lower payments for a longer period when studies suggest that higher payments for a shorter period are more effective Ah. in increasing fertility. And I think another reason government policy does not seem to be working is that comprehensive responses are needed, you know, that include education policy and workplace policies, Mm. you know, Koreans say two major barriers to having babies are long work hours and lower job prospects for women mm-hmm. after a family break. And commendably, the, the Korean Ministry of Gender Equality and Family has recognized family-friendly corporations every year since 2008. Mm-hmm. Yet so far, only about 5,400 corporations have received the certificate, and about 20% of them are public organizations or institutions. So could the recognition of family-friendly companies be expanded? Mm. You know, could businesses who champion families be more broadly recognized by Mm. well-known leaders in Korean society, in government, you know, leaders in education, in the media, even pop culture? You know, I was thinking, could the the stars of that great show Crash Landing on You be recruited? (laughs) to bring visibility to businesses who champion families. And I've heard those Korean stars have just had a baby. So who better? Who better? I'm actually close friends with one of the actors on Crash Landing on You. I won't say exactly who. Uh, but, you know, off the record, when we had these conversations about, you know, childbirth and child rearing and raising a kid, uh, what she alluded to was the fact that as a celebrity, she feels limited because there is a great deal of stigma against any celebrity speaking up 
against or for social issues. I, I think the culture is just not there yet. We're working on it, but it's slowly okay. changing. <laughs> but but I, I completely agree with your point. If if more of this is in the limelight, more different kinds of family structures are respected, and, and not just to say that, but respecting both men and women working mothers and working fathers, uh, it might be a good start if we saw more examples in the public eye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Bergenschneider, uh, you've written on evidence-based policymaking several times. In fact, your career is much about this. Uh, you have conducted extensive research on the impact of policy on families around the world. So mm-hmm. what other lessons mm-hmm. can maybe South Korea draw from other developed nations that will help in formulating reform strategies? Well, again, uh, in surveys, about a third of Koreans say that a barrier to having babies is care and education expenses. You know, compared to other advanced nations, um, Korean households spend three times more on private education for after-school teaching academies and private tutoring. And despite all this money being spent, Korea seemed to have a number of youth who face uncertain futures, you know, with low wages and few prospects for lifelong jobs. And at the same time, there seems to be kind of a mismatch between the skills these youth are attaining in their education and the rising demand for a technically skilled labor force. So many industrialized nations are are doing a great job of equipping youth with the skills required for well-paying jobs, you know, whether it's being a carpenter or an electrician or careers in construction or manufacturing or pipe fitting, shipbuilding, welding, many healthcare positions. You know, for example, um, Austria and Germany, mm-hmm. um, Denmark and Finland, the Netherlands, Norway, Switzerland, they incorporate work experiences right into the traditional educational system. Mm-hmm through apprenticeships and internships. And in Korea, only 6% of 15-year-olds had completed an internship. Now, this compares to an average of 27% in advanced nations and 69% in Denmark. Mm. And so Korea's education of workers with career-related skills trails other advanced nations, you know, for several reasons. And one, of course, being the emphasis of Confucianism on white-collar or blue-collar jobs. Mm. And also, Korea is the only country in the world that relies almost completely on private schools to provide this work-linked education. I wonder if this is another point we can touch upon. Uh, To address the population decline concern, does South Korea need to maybe pivot from being a homogenous country to a more multicultural one? It was found recently that one in every 10 couples get married in Korea. Last year, that is, was multicultural. Could the increasing influx of maybe foreign spouses or foreign workers in Korea be a viable solution to tackle the low birth rate in the country? Well, you know, this is a complicated issue and one that I'm not an expert on. Hmm. Uh, but I think it's important to remember that nine of ten marriages are not multicultural, right? <laughs> so policymakers <laughs> will get the biggest bang for their buck hmm. by focusing, I think, on, on Korean marriages. Hmm. And one caution I have for policymakers is this. You know, if foreign workers are willing to work at lower wages, um, will employers be willing to pay wages? that are high enough for young people to marry and raise a family. Ah. 
<laughs> use the same resources to perhaps tackle those who are struggling to make their own family in the country. <laughs> Dr. Bogenschneider, unfortunately, we're close to the end of the interview. Uh, frankly speaking, the headlines are quite disheartening. Um, I'm also a Korean woman. I'm recently married. I love and appreciate my career. And so I do have this personal fear of what to risk and when. So before we let you go, what is your last message to our listeners in Korea and abroad, not just to women, but to male listeners, too? I, you know, that's an important point. Everyone in Korea, I think, can play a role in increasing fertility. You know, so I'm a family professor. So I would advise looking at these policy changes that will need to occur through a family lens. For example, you know, if there's a policy shift to reduce their part-time work hours, if you look at this through an individual lens, it's going to raise questions about whether an individual worker is getting special treatment. But instead... If you look at reduced work hours through a family lens, it will be viewed as a way coworkers and companies can support parents mm. in the critically important work they're doing for Korea by raising the birth rate. You know, if more opportunities are provided, a smoother transition for women to move back into work after a family break, this will require viewing these career opportunities not as a benefit for a woman, but as a benefit for a family in hmm. a society that needs more parents bearing and rearing children. And finally, you know, if more internships and apprenticeships are provided in technical careers, these careers can be viewed as an opportunity for young people to earn enough income to marry and have children. So increasing the birth rate will require everyone to view fertility policy through a family lens rather than an individual lens. It sounds like a lot of work is cut out for us to be done, but still, maybe hope at the end of that tunnel. Thank you very I much. I think South Korea can do it. Kamsamnita. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate your insights. <laughs> if you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.